welcome to the IOD's Director's Briefing Podcast. This podcast is produced by the IOD's Policy Unit and provides timely updates, insights and commentary on the key issues of the day impacting business leaders. Welcome to this podcast where we will be discussing the state of the export environment for business and uh, where policy interventions can support those finding it uh, challenging. My name is Emma Rowland and I lead on the Institute of Directors work on trade and EU affairs. I'm joined by two members of the IOD, um, Christopher and Michael. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you. there has been concern recently about uh, the fact that coming out of the pandemic, levels of UK exports haven't quite kept up with G7 counterparts or other uh, top global economies. Um, the wider UK economic environment has proved difficult for businesses in light of uh, inflation, energy costs, uh, staff shortages, among uh, many others. Uh, Brexit has put up new um, regulatory barriers that are complex and often uh, add to business cost. Um, businesses have been telling us that these types of constraints to our own economic environment are having uh, a real impact on their ability to export. So the IOD policy unit has recently conducted a research piece to delve into our own members' attitudes and approaches to exporting. Um, the impact of government support initiatives, how free trade agreements might influence a business's export strategy, and uh, what businesses would like to see from the government to help uh, to ensure they are able to export in as frictionless an environment as possible. Um, So Michael, can I turn to you first as a larger business? um, What has Mm -hmm. your experience been of trading with the EU over the past few years since the new trading agreement uh, between the UK and EU came into force. Um, And perhaps first, if you could tell us a little bit about your business sector size, which markets you currently trade with. Thank you, Emma. Yes, uh, DCS is a um, 300 million pound turnover FMCG, uh, I suppose, manufacturing and distribution business. And we fundamentally are in what we call the health, beauty and household categories. So we've been uniquely appointed by some of the world's biggest brands such as Procter & Gamble, uh, Unilever, Colgate, Johnson & Johnson, etc. to represent them in some specific markets uh, and channels that um, that they agree with us in advance. So we are very specific about who we sell to. Um, in, In terms of how Brexit has has impacted the business. Well, on the export side, it, it certainly has had a, a significant impact. In fact, exports are normally run around 10 to 12% of our total revenue. Um, immediately post-Brexit, that number plummeted to 50% of, of what it had previously been. And I think largely that was driven by us encountering the same challenges that many businesses faced, but but taking, I would suspect, a, a prudent and cautious view to export. So where there was concern over any of the um, issues around commodity codes or rates of duty or where there was concern about trademarks or IP laws, as a business, we would always take quite a conservative approach on that and, and not really um, 
jump in where angels fear to tread. So we moved back from business because we simply probably didn't want to risk getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose the positive side of that has been Emma, that it's, it forced us to look to new markets to export into. But fundamentally, it's been a, it has been a very frustrating and, and challenging time, both in terms of a loss of revenue, but also in terms of the extra burden that is placed on our export team trying to circumnavigate some of the new rules and regulations that have come into place, both from an import and an export point of view, because we import a lot of product from the EU as well into our manufacturing division. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned there um, that your export team has had to sort of circumnavigate a lot of the new regulation. How were you able to deal with um, sort of new red tape, um, added administration, paperwork that has been uh, put into place uh, at the border? I think first and foremost, um, at, at the most basic level, trying to find advice in those early days was fundamentally difficult and challenging for us. And, and we're not the smallest operator. So I can imagine if you, if you were smaller and one or two people in an office, it would be very challenging. So advice was very difficult to get a hold of. I think the team would say that there was a lot of self-education um, and, and speaking you know, to other people who were experiencing problems and trying to find out as much advice as they could online from whatever the government websites were saying. But wading through all of that became a bit of a, a became de rigueur and really they had to become experts across commodity codes, rates of duty issues that probably they weren't particularly familiar with. So I, I honestly would say Emma, that a lot of that was self-taught, self-learned, mm -hmm. and, and probably speaking to other, well, definitely speaking to other exporters who were facing the same challenges. There was nowhere we could go to, I don't think, or anybody could go to at the lift, lifting the telephone or, or pressing something on your computer that gave you all the, the easy answers would be my experience. Yeah. So is that sort of one particular thing that you would, uh, that you would really like to see from government is... Um, sort of a better approach to government, to support for businesses and, and guidance? Well, absolutely. And I think that's something that you've mentioned in, in your report is is the ability to do that and, and to be able to search and find information readily uh, across uh, sectors and regions um, of, in the world. I mean, we, we are a country that's got some tremendously capable um, businesses that want to export, and it seems just counterintuitive that all of this red tape and bureaucracy is still hanging around all these years later. So, yes, whatever can be done to make that frictionless and more straightforward would be hugely welcomed by, by I think, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Christopher, can I come to you next? I wonder, um, from the perspective of uh, a smaller business, whether you can offer some insight into your experience uh, of Brexit since the uh, new trading arrangements came into force. Yeah, sure. Um, I run a small SME business called Creative Oculus. So it's a commercial design firm. So I help, help companies produce reports and presentations, um, infographics. So, but predominantly I work in the creative creative sector. Um, but I think since, since Brexit, um, business has gone well actually for me, but I think because I work in the service sector um, and a lot of my clients are multinational corporations, so I deliberately changed my strategy a little bit um, because if I'm working with multinational corporations, they would have less trade with the EU and diversify their business with Asia and South America. Um, but yeah, for me, I think sometimes there's an overemphasis on goods when it comes to free trade agreements. 
and services is actually the strength of the UK. I think um, we were third or fourth in um, globally for for services, um, and I think we're, I think we got, we got to concentrate on our strengths. But I do agree with Michael's point. Um, I actually believe that they could be more. Um, what's the word? Uh, it could be made easier on the Department of International Trade website to support businesses. Um, because even when we do sign a trade agreement, like with Singapore, for example, digital agreement, or Japan, as a business owner, I want to realise the benefits um, of signing the free trade agreements. So it's almost uh, macro and micro, if you like. As a, as a small business, uh, I just, I'm interested in the trade flow. But I think free trade agreements kind of frame the discussion. They create um, create a good environment that helps business, reduces red tape, reduces regulation. But as an SME uh, in the service sector, I would still approach a, com- a country like Uganda or Colombia who doesn't have an FTA agreement with the UK. So it wouldn't deter me because I'm actually in the service sector. Um, and I can actually provide marketing and digital services to uh, globally as long as I'm competitive and I can offer a USP. Yeah, thank you. So on free trade agreements, yeah, we, we have found businesses have been giving us uh, quite varied perspectives on um, on the deals that uh, the UK is signing. Some say the deals are just kind of good optics. They're flag waving for the UK. Some are really encouraged uh, that the deals remove barriers, both um, tariff and non-tariff. I mean, you mentioned that um, you will trade to where there is demand, regardless of whether there is a, a free trade agreement. But what's your perspective on sort of their impact on uh, the level of UK exports? Can businesses really take advantage of uh, free trade agreements in order to boost their own exports? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think. It's it's um it's a mindset, isn't it? It's it's a, it's a perspective. So obviously we've got a free trade agreement with um, Japan, Australia, and they're going to be more receptive. If if I was to have a conversation with an Australian firm or a Japanese firm, they are going to be more receptive, and they, and there will be maybe trade missions by the British consulate where they take over a few companies to those countries, or there may be trade um, trade shows hosted in London or Edinburgh or Ireland. So, yeah, it does, it is, it is a positive. It is a positive, um, but it's realising those benefits right through the value chain um, for different size companies. Um, Michael, would you, do you like to add to that point? <laughs> I, I think, yeah, no, thank you, Christopher. I think by definition, a free trade agreement it should be a very useful um, arrangement, but some of the stuff which I know Emma, you would have been uh, discussing is how do we, or we've discussed is how do we make that free trade agreement right from the get go and the consultation period and ensuring that we shape a, an agreement that actually uh, has been done with the involvement of people like Christopher at, at his service level side of the fence and people like DCS and everybody else in between that are either exporting large or small amounts of goods 
to countries and and having more involvement at, at the early stage um, and the free ability to input our experience and our advice into some form of database, if you like, uh, I think would be very useful. And thereafter, how we monitor that and make sure that it's actually delivering. There's no point in developing these things if they uh, literally are uh, scoped out as a marvelous document but have no help to Christopher and his business or mm -hmm. our team so how you then um, embed and ensure that the FTA is actually delivering for everybody or as many people as possible um, in a more I think trans um, uh, transparent way is is something that would be very important you know if I wasn't talking about free trade agreements to to my team well of course they're aware of them but but I think they sometimes feel that um, that they're, they pick up this stuff in the in the newspaper rather than actually being part of, if that makes sense, a free trade agreement with whatever country it is. And how we in, encourage government uh, to reach out to businesses, particularly SMEs, to be feel that they're part of that overall process. I suppose is the point I'm, I'm trying to make. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, free trade agreements are very long legal documents that yes. uh, are extremely uh, complex, difficult to engage with. And I know that's something that uh, the government is really focusing on is getting as many different types of businesses engaging with free yeah. trade agreements as possible. But then you, you, you touched on the sort of accountability aspect. How do we then ensure mm -hmm. that um, uh, that the government is engaging with all businesses in order to yeah. sort of implement their guidance, um, implement the support, and how do they monitor what's working, what's best practice? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, can I put a question to both of you? Thinking from the perspective uh, of a business with any level of exporting experience, how easy do you think it is to look for uh, new markets? Um, establish and maintain uh, relationships internationally, sort of both uh, perhaps with the EU and beyond. You go first, Christopher. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But I, I would say British companies are well respected um, for their expertise. And there's almost a multicultural element uh, it's quite a cosmopolitan business landscape, quite diverse. Um, so, for example, uh, I, I attended an event um, with uh, some businesses from Ecuador um, last week. Um, and they were very receptive. Um, I've never actually conducted business in Ecuador, but we have some very interesting business conversations and connections. Um, I'm actually going to India in July for a like a G20 Young Entrepreneur Alliance conference. I mean, other entrepreneurs from across the G20. Again, India um, is quite a big market. I think I think the UK. It, it, I think it depends on your your, your strategy. I think it's it's it's, it's, a, it's quite subjective for each business, but for me. Um, I've just got to demonstrate uh, with my business value, um, mm. technical ability, and just focus on on the deliverables and provide tangible benefits. But um, I think because we've actually left the EU 
which is our closest and largest trading block. I mean, now we've actually signed the trade deal. Um, well, well, we've actually left, but we, a lot of companies are pivoting towards the East. <laughs> so they're looking at Asia, they're looking at South America, they're looking at Africa. Um, but business is global. Um, and I think you have no choice but to be ha have an international mindset. But in terms of actually making those connections, you've got to put the work in. Um, so for me, I've yeah. been attending conferences um, and reaching out to different, different, different countries, um, try to diversify it. Because I think, especially, I mean, my background is economics, actually. So I'm, I'm actually an economist. <laughs> but, um, but to manage risk, you want, you want to diversify. And if you're diversifying globally, if there's actually a recession in the Asian continent or the EU, I mean, the, the pandemic we had was unusual in that it was a truly global recession. But normally it's, 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 it's by continent. So if you've got a global business strategy, you can, you can offset risk. And that's what investment banks do very well. They have, um, if you're Goldman Sachs or Merrill Lynch or Society General, they've got divisions across, across the world and they, they shuffle the pack and leverage and descale. So it is, it is, it's, it's, um, it's a challenge, but also an opportunity. I think, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with, with what Christopher said. I think this country is, you know, the UK, first of all, has a very rich heritage in terms of export. It's something we've, we're quite proficient at. And fundamentally, um, notwithstanding the conversations we've had around FTAs and frictionless trade, et cetera, et cetera, fundamentally, the responsibility lies with the individual business or operator to, to get off their, out of their chair and go and do it. And I think that, you know, we're, it is something that's it's inherently a strength for us. In our world of manufacturing actual product, Made in England still carries a huge degree of, of leverage and gravitas, to be honest. And um, some of the countries we export to, uh, either because maybe they have a significant expat uh, population or because that heritage of made in England is carries weight, um, means that, you know, there are a lot of opportunities for us. Opportunities don't always, you know, some, some markets may look straightforward because they may speak the same language. So in theory, obviously exporting to America might look straightforward on one level because you can speak to somebody and, and, and it's relatively straightforward. And yet it doesn't necessarily mean in any way that it's easy. And some of the markets that we have developed uh, probably since COVID, we're seeing quite an increase across, well, we, we have a strong business in the UAE. We have a strong business in developing in China, et cetera. So we are, we take the responsibility of actually growing our export business very seriously ourselves. And I suppose our big ask is just that we could get um, some more help from from government in terms of reducing some of this unnecessary um, red tape and, and really trying to develop trade deals that, you know, allow frictionless and, and, and ideally duty-free trading. Yeah, well, thank you both. Um... I feel like we have raised some really important issues. Uh, obviously, these are two case studies in isolation. Um, however, through our research, we are finding that uh, the message is very consistent across our membership. Um, it is more difficult to export from the UK in the current trading environment. 
Um, and our report therefore offers some specific policy recommendations to the government, which we feel would uh, bring down some of these barriers um, and which relate to uh, firstly guidance, um, easy access to funding, better opportunities to uh, input into government consultations on uh, free trade agreements. And uh, yeah, as we mentioned earlier, holding the government to account on the sort of monitoring uh, of this free trade agreement utilization guidance and support. Uh, you can access the report exporting in a post-Brexit world an agenda for the UK government on our website to read our full analysis and policy recommendations. So finally, thanks again to Christopher and Michael for an interesting discussion today. Thank you, Emma. We hope that you have enjoyed this Director's Briefing podcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to ensure that you are kept up to date on our future podcasts. You can find more information about our work on our website at iod.com forward slash news and on our LinkedIn and Twitter profiles. You can also contact us directly via policy-unit at iod.com. Thank you.